Your source for Big Ten Targets of Tackle Empire! Welcome back to Off Topple Empire, the official podcast of punting enthusiasts nationwide and the punt land of America. Uh, I'm Steve Braun, a.k.a. Thumposaurus, and with me, as always, is Andrew Kaszewski, and we are in Iowa Week, making our second attempt at this as our first was... No, we're making our third attempt, actually, because our, <laughs> our first attempt was wiped out by a Windows update, and our second attempt just now, uh, as soon as I talked about our first attempt being destroyed, it got mad at me and was like, all right, well, if you're going to talk shit about me, then I'm just going to stop recording. Maybe we're caught in a negative feedback loop. But, you know, I will say this, though. A podcast is never late, nor is it early. It arrives precisely when the mechanical equipment allows it to. (laughs) Indeed. And speaking of mechanical equipment, I have a win-fight-try Brewster of the Week that is... uh, my, my, my very first homebrew creation, which I'll just call Moonhound Hefeweizen, and oh, you know... Thank you. thank you, R2. This is, this, is good, this is good and appropriate in light of this being Iowa week, because, you know, like Iowa, this, this, is, this is solid, never going to be the greatest, but you know, you always got to appreciate this uh, kind of very homegrown charm, and that always adds to something. It's a very folksy thing, and you know, it's 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 flyover country in a nutshell. Yeah, these are two star ingredients that are going to turn into an all-conference NFL draft product. So, um, okay, he's, I guess he's done. Archer licked the entirety of my foot just while you were introducing and describing the beer, like the entire surface of it between all the toes. He's, he's resumed. He's being very thorough. It's probably his favorite activity. Just so you all get to know the contributors on the podcast as we continue here with our summer preview series. So let's talk Iowa Hawkeyes. And as far as last year goes, if the interactions I have had and observed amongst the Iowa fan base are any indication of how they actually feel, this is a fan base that is okay with Kirk Ferentz for the most part. Tolerates his low moments, tolerates his boring offenses, tolerates his frustrating tactical decisions because every once in a while there's a payoff year. There's an Orange Bowl. There's a 12-0 regular season with a division title. There's, you know, probably another good season they've had that I'm not thinking of that goes farther back than I care about. Last year felt like it should have been one of those seasons between the schedule and the team they had, and it decidedly wasn't. Yeah. Essentially, the way that I uh, describe it is uh, with, the, with, the, with an album name from Funkadelic. They spent all last year standing on the verge of getting it on, instead of getting it on. Because you had them looking like, you know, they were right on the periphery of, you know, like this is, it's, 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 their, it's theirs to lose. So they had an early setback with a loss to Wisconsin, but Wisconsin then looked a little vulnerable down the stretch, and it seemed that Iowa was going to have the path cleared for them. And yet that ended up not being a case. So Yep, because they lost three straight, including a decisive 14-10 rock fight against Northwestern that, you know, went as all of the uh, triangle of stubbornness games between Northwestern, Iowa, and Michigan State always go. Right, so, you know, D'Antonio consistently plays... 
I guess we'll call it rock against Northwestern. Northwestern always plays paper, and Iowa always plays scissors. So when the three teams meet against each other, it's not like it's a blowout in any direction most of the time, but it's going to be a four-point victory for the team that plays the winning hand. Oh, what the hell? <laughs> Somehow, against all odds, we seem to have nearly duplicated the uh, the the... Sneaky foam volcano incident. Yeah, y'all really, y'all really missing out. During the first recording of this episode, we cracked open a couple other of these homebrews thump put together, and mine spectacularly overflowed uh, to a hilarious effect. And I thought this time I would head it off at the pass by pouring most of it into a glass, and you know the glass had topped off a of foam as well. So I waited, and then I noticed that even though the bottle was probably two thirds empty, the foam nonetheless. Uh, reached the lip and was coming out. So, you know, so I'm 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 an engineer. These are first shot parts, and we'll look at process controls, right? <laughs> because I, I seem to have had a really tough time controlling the carbonation of these. There, it's widely variable, bottle to bottle, and generally seems a bit excessive overall. But some bottles are just volcanoes. So anyway. Um, Speaking of speaking of very slow moving but deadly things, <laughs> I suppose that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Iowa from last year, then you know, as we said, they it really felt like they missed an opportunity because Wisconsin, as it turned out, was really not their usual self. Um, the fact that Hornerbrook was hurt for a good part of the year is definitely part of that, I'm sure, but. Boy, there was an opportunity here. Even with the Wisconsin loss, Iowa was in the picture, had it all on the line, and then, man, lost to Northwestern. So, looking forward to this year, then. Well, you know, you know what? Do, no, it wasn't yeah. just the loss to Northwestern because, okay, the, after, after the loss to Wisconsin, they they put up 48 points against the resurgent Minnesota. They, they dominated Indiana and shut out Maryland. Then they went on the road to Penn, to Penn State and tried their damnedest to where Penn State was trying their damnedest to lose but couldn't quite do it so they blew an opportunity there then they lost at Purdue like real late in the game so they could have wrapped it up then multiple opportunities multiple opportunities and then it was just a decisive game against Northwestern and they just couldn't do anything on offense. So looking up and down their schedule, what you notice is, again, as, as I mentioned earlier, they had probably their best opportunity to have a big season in a long time because they did not have Michigan on the schedule, did not have Ohio State on the schedule, did not have Michigan State on the schedule. Crossovers were Penn State, Indiana, and Maryland. That's, like as, good are, of a, that's as good of a crossover schedule as you're going to get in the West. The, yeah, that's, like, that's as, good as, as, of, as good of a non-Rutgers-involved schedule as you can get. Like, that's that's probably the best you can put together without involving Rutgers. No, it would, yeah. The only way to get an easier draw is if you somehow line up Indiana, Maryland, Rutgers. That's and the best we're not saying that it's Michigan State is better than Penn State, but... Michigan State is part of that triangle of stubbornness that we're talking about. So that one, you never know how that would go. Yeah, and so, again, short of basically flopping the Royal Flush, that would be Maryland, Rutgers, Indiana for your crossovers. You couldn't have done much better there. And then looking up and down the schedule, they only played three teams all season that were ranked at the time of the game. One of them was in the bowl. The other two they lost, the Wisconsin and Penn State games. So... If you look up and down that schedule from last year, what's Iowa's best win? Is is it the Floyd of Rosedale game, or is it Iowa State? It's probably Iowa State, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, it's either Iowa State or Mississippi State, but I want to say that Mississippi, you know, I want to say that it's Iowa State because they... Didn't Mississippi State have a couple guys sit out that bowl game, a couple of those high draft picks? Didn't Simmons have to sit oh, out yeah. that, ter- that defensive tackle? Maybe yeah, I'm so making that up. it wasn't a full I... strength. No, I, I, I remember that, actually. So it wasn't a full strength. I was, yeah, I'd say it was Iowa State. Yeah. It was their most impressive one, for sure, because Iowa State so, ended up having a pretty competent offense they shut down. Wow, so, you know, I guess you could say Iowa State was Iowa's Super Bowl last year. <laughs> yep, that was, that was the highest that... They would climb atop the mountain. I mean, to give you an idea of the milk toast unimpressiveness of, of Iowa, um, I wasn't at the game, but I had multiple reports from people that were at the 63 to nothing game that Iowa fans just spent like the whole time kind of complaining about their their team just like not really being that good, like. You sit through a sixty-three to nothing dism- road dismantling of a Big Ten opponent and just be like, oh, "Man, I mean, we're fucking not that good." Yeah. I mean, come I don't on. know. Can, man. You, can you can you fucking move the line just a little bit here? This is this is ridiculous. This Didn't is- even crack seventy against Illinois on the road. So, and the reason we take the pains to weigh all this out, of course, is that again we just want to emphasize: last year was a missed opportunity, and when we talk about what's coming up this year, it's going to come into even sharper relief. So. Nine and four on paper is a season that probably what three quarters, eighty percent of college football would accept sight unseen. Yes, sign me up for that right now. Uh, but again, they have the schedule that they should have taken. Two thousand one had the schedule they should have taken advantage of. They had pretty good injury fortune, to the best of my recollection. They was last was it last season or the year before when they had a bunch of defensive backs get hurt. I think it was the year before, yeah. right? Where they they play a bunch of freshman guys. So last year they had pretty good injury fortune. Another really good group going to the NFL draft. And, you know, when you look at what they lost from that, there's always, I mean, the offensive line guys, for example, you probably expect they'll be okay. But that combination of Fant and Hawkinson, as much as the Iowa fan might like to chirp about, oh, we're tight end you, we'll just find another one. You're not going to find another combo like that right away. Probably not for another decade or so. That was yeah. a special that was pair. A perfect storm of, uh, of Iowa tight end convergence. And yeah. Next man up, but it doesn't quite work like that. No, because, I mean, for one thing, between the two of them, they played most of the snaps for Iowa at tight end, even though they play some three tight end formations. I mean, most of your tight end experience is gone. It's fine to say that you're confident in the staff's ability to develop a competent replacement, but it's not going to... Next guy up is not going to be as good as either of those dudes. And Um, when your offense basically runs through the run game and your passing game so heavily involves the tight ends. Like, yeah. They're going to be felt even more than they would be most Like, I'm sorry. They're not going to... Iowa is not going to adjust by saying, well, you know, why don't we lean on the outside passing game a little bit? Let's 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 get our receivers in space and, and make them beat them. No. That not, is not yes. Iowa's game. Not that they could if they wanted to, because their their receivers are fine, but they're just guys. Amir Smith-Marset, Brandon Smith, they are just guys. It would be very helpful if... Um, if Oliver Martin, the transfer from Michigan, the Iowa product, was eligible, but he's not. So they're pretty much going to be rolling with Smith-Marset and Smith as their starters. He should have transferred to Ohio State and then transferred from there to Iowa as soon as they announced he would be eligible immediately. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, they've got solid pieces to build around. Nate Stanley's probably going to break a lot of passing records before he's done. 
They have a, probably the best tackle combo in the conference of Jackson and Werfs. Three running backs, none of whom were outstanding, all of whom were pretty good. Interesting thing about Nate Stanley, though, and this unfortunately is not going to have the same impact as it did in the original reading when you were very surprised by the true answer to this question when I asked, what do you think Nate Stanley's record is as a starting quarterback? Yeah, I said about 18-8. and eight. It's 9-9. Nine and nine. Which I found to be stunning. I yeah. couldn't believe he was 500. I would have, first of all, thought that he would have started more games. Yeah, started that. more games, certainly. Because I, um, I said that what? he'd won 18 starts. No. You know what it is, though? It's because I asked the wrong question. It's I think that's his Big Ten starting record. Oh, okay. Um, so the the overall record is probably closer to what you said. But yeah, his record. I think it's the record in Big Ten it, conference it, it play. It can't possibly be. Because yeah, because he started the last two seasons. That would be nine games a year. So yeah. makes sense. So yeah, that would be why it was as big of a... I'm sure you would have been closer if I had asked the Big Ten Conference record. You probably would have given me a number that added up to 18. <laughs> in any case, I'm not, you probably wouldn't have guessed that he's a 500 quarterback in no. a conference play, given the couple seasons they've had the last two years. So what do you, what do, you do with Nate Stanley? I mean, they're, they're not going to bench him. Benching a senior starting quarterback, I mean, with the exception of, of benching Jake Rudock in favor of C.J. Beathard, but... You know what? They go. Here's the thing. It, I don't think it's Nathan Stanley. He's he's an Iowa quarterback. He's a good Iowa quarterback, which is never going to be someone that's asked to be spectacular. They go comfortably above 500 as a team. They either they they you know what? They go nine and four as a team, or they go eight and five as a team. All right, <laughs> everything they do, they do as a team. In the wide range of possible outcomes for <laughs> Iowa football. <laughs> yeah, whether the quarterback is tearing it up or a complete liability, they're going to win eight or nine games. <laughs> and again, hey, for probably three quarters, 80% of college football, wouldn't you take that? Isn't, you know, I think you would. I would cry if we won 24 games in three years. <laughs> uh, okay, so we mentioned some of the guys who are going to be gone. What can we expect to see from incoming freshmen? Well, as usual with Iowa, the answer is going to be not much. A Nothing program, spectacular. Program that relies a lot on development. Their classes, on paper, below average in the conference. We can safely say at this point, after 20 years of Kirk Ferentz, that he's going to get more out of those guys on average that than you would expect on paper. Uh, they do have a single four-star recruit, linebacker Justin Jacobs, who, if he stays at linebacker, could make an impact there because if you look at the weaknesses of this team overall, and we'll sort of slide in talking about the defense here, they have the playmaker on the line in Epinesa, a pretty good tackle next to him in Lattimore. The defensive backs, are, I think, are probably going to be pretty good with Ojemudia, with Geno Stone. Even I mean, they'll miss Amani Hooker badly, but they also consistently develop new defensive backs. Matt Hankins is solid. What they don't really have that they usually have on their better defenses is a playmaking linebacker or linebackers. Um, it's not clear who the middle linebacker is going to be with Jack Hockaday gone. You know, they have Neiman and Colbert back on the outside. They're both okay. When you think of an Iowa, one of those surge Iowa teams, you think of a linebacker. You think, yeah, you think of Josie Jewell. Josie Jewell, you think of uh, Pat, Pat Anger. Or Greenway or, um, I mean, the Morris-Kirksey-Hitchens combo. Like, you, you think, yeah, of... Linebackers able to make use of the solid play around them. The fundamental plays are made up front and in the back end, and the big plays, the splash, the splash plays, tackles, tackles for loss, sacks. A lot of them coming from linebackers. Yeah, a lot of them coming from the linebackers. 
and there isn't that obvious play impact guy on this defense right now. Always possible that one of the returners could make a step forward, or the new starter at the mic is a big impact guy. But you usually see that guy coming. Yes, and if there's a spot for a freshman to make that impact, Jacobs is probably the guy. So that I think will do for the defense. We mentioned the offense a little bit. Um, this is probably going to be, even with the loss of two tight ends, especially Hawkinson, who is an excellent blocker, this is probably still going to be a little bit more of a run-dependent game this year because, again, the strong point here is the two tackles on this offense. And they're, they're massive dudes. So you want to give them a chance to get out and maul some guys. Even though they're shuffling guys on the interior line as well, there's pretty good experience there, just not necessarily guys who have started a lot of games, but you have upperclassmen instead of young guys. So the offensive line is probably going to be pretty good. You may as well play to that base stretch play that's been the bread and butter of Iowa the whole time. Ferentz has been there. You know, and you can, oh, I'm sorry, and you can also kind of cover up your lack of obvious outside playmakers that way. You know, it's fine and dandy and all to get way into the weeds, but when it comes right down to it, you got to talk about the only position that really matters on Iowa. The punter. Yep. We've obviously buried the lead here, so... Punting controversy, Thumb. Are you Team Rastetter or are you Team Sleepy Dalton? Ooh, I, I really think that Sleep Dalton, when you talk about one-year Iowa punters, the last one I remember was Kaluzi, mm. who was very successful. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm thinking, uh, yeah, I'm, on, I'm full on Team Sleepy Dalton. Yeah. Rast- Sleep Dalton. <laughs> Rast- Rastetter has... Uh, Experience that job, obviously, but his results the last couple of years have really been kind of lacking. Um, and for an Iowa team that has always placed so much value on on the stability of the punt, not being able to rely on your punter is an unacceptable state of affairs. And so Ferentz went out. Punted. Hey, Ferentz went out, went out there, swung around his special teams credentials, landed the most coveted transfer punter. I'm gonna say because I don't know any others uh, in the market this year. And grab Michael Sleep is Michael Sleep Dalton. I think that's his first Michael name. Michael Sleep Dalton uh, from Arizona State, ro- taking him right out the nose from another old guy who's probably relying on the threat of a return to the NFL to get more money out of his employer as well. Her Edwards at Arizona State. <laughs> oh, that's funny boy. because that's a really long sentence. I couldn't find. It's funny to because there was though. like briefly the idea that Lovey Smith would do that. <laughs> anyway, oh man, your team played against Michael Sleep Dalton. Were you were were you able to get anything going against his uh, mighty punting onslaught? I blacked that think? game the fuck out. It like it was over at three a.m. I wasn't even drinking, and I might as well have been blackout drunk. Well, Damn, Michael Sleep Dalton. I don't remember and anything. Healthy else. Jake Hartbarger. Yeah, only thing I remember What's about it? that game is Hartbarger taking a helmet to the ankle that apparently wrecked the rest. That just knocked him out for the season, and that honestly like. That Hartbarger injury was probably more of a problem than that, like any other single injury they had. I mean, the cumulative effect of losing all those receivers was definitely worse. But if you want to talk about the impact on the game of him versus losing like L.J. Scott, who's who was a dog most of his career, or versus you know any of the wide receivers who were in and out of the lineup, other than maybe Felton Davis, yeah, that was probably the single biggest injury disaster MSU's had, maybe in the whole D'Antonio era. You know. I'd have to think about it. I went it. through some punting stats earlier today and found Michigan State as does not do. get... As you do. As work. one does. At work out Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Michigan State isn't 
underrated punter powerhouse under Mark D'Antonio. From a statistical standpoint, none of those guys have stuck in the NFL. But I, True. Honestly, but NFL punting feels like such a crapshoot. It does. Unless you're from Utah. Yeah. In which case, that's the Bama of punting. But, no, you're, as you were saying, I mean, I, I didn't mean to trample your point there. Well, yeah. Michigan State is a very underrated punting factory, so you know, they lose their starting punter. It's actually like... What I found was that uh, the guys with the... Since 2000, the two Big Ten punters with the most punts were uh, were Mike Sadler. Like, most career punts were Mike Sadler and uh, his predecessor... Aaron Bates. Yeah, Aaron Bates. So... Which, you know, in the context of the way D'Antonio plays, not entirely surprising. Yeah. Uh, bo- they both punted for four years also. Hartbarger's going to get his fourth year this year. He's probably going to crack 10,000 career yards as well. Uh, I don't know what he's at right now, but... About 7,800. I like to think this offense is going to be improved enough that maybe he won't get that many chances, but... Uh... 2,200 is not a lot of... I mean, it's 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 a healthy punting season. It's, so it's you, a decent punting season. If you divide that by 13, that's... I went to law school, so I wouldn't have to do math. Opening the calculator... So if he needs 2,200, and let's assume they get to a bowl game, he needs about 169 yards of punting a game. That is not much at all. Completely manageable. That's, yeah. I mean, his average is something around 40. That's basically a little more than four punts a game. I think MSU is going to get to that. So, um, so anyway, but we're talking about punting, which is a... That's why you part. got the Michigan State sidebar, because we really, truly are brothers in spirit as far as, as, far as the punt goes. Yeah, so I mean... You know, and, and when when you got a guy that's willing to punt from your thirty-one, you you, you got to make sure that you're using the best weaponry available to do so. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think Sleep Dalton is going to be a contender for Big Ten Punter of the Year. All right. So. And then the, the other thing is they'll also have to find a new place kicker. Miguel Racinos was very good the last couple of years for the most part. Um, they have actually one. They have a guy who. Preceded Racinos, then lost the job to him. Dunk or Keith is it Duncan Keith or Keith Duncan? No, it's not Duncan Keith. It's not the hockey player. It's <laughs> Keith Duncan uh, who kicked a game winner against Michigan a few years ago, and then after that sucked so bad he lost the job. But he's got a big career highlight already. Um, all right, so we'll proceed then into the schedule, and you know, as we said earlier, the crossover is substantially tougher this year. They still get a home game with. Rutgers, but they also host Penn State, and they take a trip to Michigan. Um, Nebraska and Wisconsin, you play both of those games on the road. Yeah, I, you really can't help but feel, looking at this schedule... You know, that, they also play at Iowa State. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, not, I don't think anyone at Iowa is, or anyone in the Iowa fan base, at least that I've seen, is claiming that this is going to be a playoff season, like an undefeated year yeah. or anything. So in that sense, Ference is kind of right that that Iowa State game doesn't really matter because they're going to be playing for the conf- for the division this year. That's going to be their ultimate, that's going to be their big goal, really. It matters to the fans, but yes. they but they refuse to take it seriously. They're actually much like how Illinois fans feel about Northwestern. Like it matters a great deal, but like like okay like. If Iowa State was coming off an 11-win season and Iowa was coming off of a three-win season, you honestly think that Iowa fans wouldn't be like, "Yeah, but we're going to beat Iowa State," <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's Iowa State. Yeah, yeah. That's 
somehow that hasn't quite gone away for me with Northwestern. Where it's like, yeah, I don't really care how many games they won last year. They're beatable. <laughs> well, that, I, I think refuse you to be honest, take them seriously. I, most fan bases probably still feel that way. It's hard to shake those. It's hard to shake those impressions of what a program is, you know. But I think it'll just always be like that for Northwestern, the way that specifically for Illinois, uh, and I think it'll always be that way for Iowa State with Iowa. Probably going to be the best version of El Asico on paper we've seen in a while. I mean, when was the last time? Both of those teams came into that game ranked. It can't have been in the last decade. Iowa State's been terrible for most of it. So, I don't know. I mean, it's pro- I'd have to do more research than I really care about for Iowa-Iowa State. But, yeah, th- that should be a banger on paper. Um, and it's also going to be a nice early litmus test of kind of how they've dealt with some shuffle personnel in a lot of important places. But looking at this schedule overall, I do think at the end of this year... Even if it's another eight-win season or so, which is about what I think it's going to be, I think at the end of this year, maybe Iowa fans, you know, because you'll be breaking a new quarterback, you're probably going to get both. I guess both tackles are probably going to declare for the pros. Epinesa is going to go pro. You're going to be losing a lot of players that define this little period of Iowa football. So it'll be time for a little bit of look back, and I think you're going to look at last year and think, man, that was a missed opportunity. You know what's funny is I was looking at. The, I was just glancing at the Iowa schedule again, and I see, like, okay, well, there's a three-game very manageable home home stretch in the non-conference here with Miami of Ohio, Rutgers, and Middle Tennessee. And I was like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> That's a conference game. Second game of the season. So, um, <laughs> look, that'll be a nice warm-up for Middle Tennessee State, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, actually, Rutgers is their warm-up for El Asico. Oh, is it? Okay. Suppose. It's just... I. In my head, I thought, because Iowa State matters, they must be a conference game. <laughs> hey, man, realignment jakes out the right way. Maybe that would be... God, please, no. Well, see. maybe they'll be with us in the have-nots conference once, uh, you know, all of the TV-valuable uh, schools just separate and form their own league. Yeah. It's going to happen I mean, in the next 10 years. Or once... Uh... You know, once players are allowed to make money and then just the fan bases with all the money get all the good players to, to an even greater extent than they already do. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, like, oh, wait. that's not already happening. Can't wait. Going to be great. Hopefully Michigan State basketball is a big enough name that we stay relevant in that, at least. That's my hope. Yeah. Hey, our our, our window's closing to get back there. So, anyway, how do you see this shaking out for Iowa? I see 8-4. I see 8-4. I think they... Lose, and I mean of the, again of the Penn State Michigan combo. I think they probably manage one and one. Um, I think they lose to Iowa State, and they're gonna drop a couple other games in there because there is pretty solid balance in the West as we are contractually obligated to mention. So yep, anyone can win the Big Ten West except of course Illinois. Feels like an eight and four season. It's probably not gonna be as much. I mean. The only thing I don't have a sense of is how much Iowa fans were disappointed by last year. I mean, obviously losing to Northwestern when you have a chance to lock up the division for yourselves is a disappointment, but they did hold on to Floyd. They did beat Nebraska pretty handily. They did win their bowl game. But three points, right? Yeah. I meant the I meant they won the bowl game. Oh, that was only like a five point. Well, I mean, I, I mean, if I remember, Michigan, if I remember watching State it, fan, that's so a I decisive guess, margin of victory. Yeah. No, if if I remember watching that bowl game though, I feel it like was I had not as close. As yeah, the score. I feel like I had the impression Iowa was in control the whole time. So 
you know, the Wisconsin loss stings. Yeah. Um, I totally want to yeah, they, they, talk about. Because the thing is, all of those losses, they gave away. Mm-hmm. All four of those losses, they absolutely they, gave away. They, they turned, had, the, yeah, had was, two early turnovers against Wisconsin. And they had a lead in the fourth quarter and then let Alex Hornerbrook drive for a game-winning touchdown. God damn, y'all. They, in Kinnick, no less. At night, I thought that was... Isn't that supposed to be a, a very difficult place to play? I mean, they, they were showing a replay of it on BTN the other night. They had the stripe thing going, which is such a cool look. And then Alex fucking Hornerbrook, the... the, the Captain Clutch. The Shefty Lefty. Like, you know, I, I couldn't come up with a rhyme for Lefty that meant mediocre right away. Damn it. Um, but yeah, they turned him into Captain Clutch. It's The moment's passed, man. It's too late. We got Wisconsin next. We can think about it while we get ready for that one. So yeah. I see 8-4. and four. I see maybe not a season they're all that disappointed with because the schedule's harder, but I think they're going to look back on this group of players, this generation of Iowa players, and think, man, we didn't get anything big out of this, and we should have. Yeah. I'm seeing the same season as you, except I'm seeing a win at Iowa State. Hmm. That's kind of the only difference. Um, I have them losing to Nebraska. I uh, have them losing to Michigan quite badly. And I can't remember if I said they were losing to Penn State or Purdue. I think when we did this the first time, you had them losing to Purdue. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, thinking so, back to my mental notes from the first time we recorded this podcast. Yeah, so you know if you know to to, to channel the spirit of Bobby Knight, I'm sure they're sick. They're fucking tired of losing a Purdue. Your source for Big Ten talk. It's off tackle and fun.